The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. The Dow fails to break through that key 35,000 mark after a no-good, really bad day for Boeing shares. Time for a Wednesday bounce back? A very busy day in Washington, D.C. as Senate Democrats unveil a $3.5 trillion budget resolution that fills the gap for President Biden's human capital infrastructure agenda. We have a live report ahead. Kathy Wood doubling down on her deflation trade as she loads up on technology but grows sour on China. Details next. And cleared for takeoff, investors awaiting results from Delta and more. While sales and bookings may be up, there is still one key traveler yet to take to the skies in a major way. Not just airlines, big banks also front and center with Bank of America and Wells Fargo earnings today. It's Wednesday, July 14th, 2021. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan today, kicking off your Wednesday morning with stock futures showing a little bit of movement. Now, you can see there we are indicated just marginally lower, about 35 points to the downside for the Dow. The S&P implied lower by roughly three points and about 27 points to the upside implied at the opening bell for the Nasdaq. Now, this is all after the Dow failed to break through that key 35,000 level yesterday. The index is just a half a percent away from its own record high. Now, blame Boeing for most of that downward move yesterday. The stock shaving off some 66 points off the blue chip index by itself. Much more on that move coming up later on in the show. Now, on the flip side, technology stocks coming off a record close once again with a half a percent gain. It's modest, but still a record. The bond market certainly a key focus for many traders out there with the 10-year Treasury note yield now moving just slightly lower on the day, a hair below that 1.4 level. So we'll keep an eye on that long-term bond. Now, crude oil as well, down about a half a percent. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate, $74.82 the last trade there. To the early trade now on the European side of things, Jumana Bersecchi is standing by in our London newsroom with the latest. Happy Wednesday morning, Jumana. Happy Wednesday, Dom. Not such a happy Wednesday morning for markets, though. A lot of red on the board behind me. Handover not so pretty from Wall Street, also from Asia markets overnight. So you can see uh, most of these indices are trading in the red. The FTSE 100 in the UK is the relative underperformer, down about half a percentage point here. And uh, we also got an inflation surprise out of the UK this morning as well. I just want to flag that to your viewers. Uh, We got an inflation print of 2.5% for the month of June. That is higher than expectations 
also boosted yet again by used cars, which is a theme that continues to pop up in the U.S. So that's something that U.K. investors are watching very closely as well. There is a little bit of green in the FTSE 100 index, though it's not showing in the form of the banks and some of the energy companies. I'll get to that in a second. Cacahont in France down about three-tenths of a percentage point. It is a national holiday today, Bastille Day. So uh, you might have seen some of the events that are taking place there, but probably means that trading activity is going to be a little lighter than usual. Zetchadax in Germany down about two-tenths of a percentage point with some of the industrials lagging. But one of the major sectors that we're focused on today in Europe is the banking sector. And actually, there is a lot of green going on here, uh, not just because of the, uh, I guess, more positive results coming out of JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs yesterday, but also we had the Bank of England announce yesterday in their financial stability report that they're lifting some of the dividend restrictions on these UK banks. So they now have the ability to pay out as many dividends as they want, which has been positive for the sector as a whole. You can see Barclays in the UK up one percentage point, HSBC up about a quarter. Some of the other European banks also trading nicely this morning. So a little bit of green as far as that cyclical basket is concerned. However, another sector that is not doing so well, travel, you can see, continues to languish as we have these ongoing uh, COVID restrictions and things only seem to be getting more onerous on the continent. So that's something to watch out for, Dom. I'll throw it back to you. All right, Jumana. Bersetti live in London with the latest there. Thank you very much. Now back on the home front, Senate Democrats unveiling a new multi-trillion dollar spending proposal late last night. Frank Holland is here with that and this morning's other top stories. Good morning, Frank. Hey, Dom. Good morning to you. That's right. Senate Democrats announcing late last night they've reached a budget agreement among themselves that calls for three and a half trillion in new spending over the next decade. That plan would pave the way to direct a huge pool of federal resources at climate change, health care and family service programs, all of which were in President Biden's original infrastructure vision. President Biden is expected to head to the Hill today to discuss a possible path forward. Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon says he was surprised by China's recent moves to boost oversight with regards to its technology sector. Speaking with CNBC's own Wilford Frost yesterday, Solomon said Didi could just be the beginning when it comes to the China IPO pipeline. Chinese are now put in a process where they have a regulatory agency that has an ability to sign off on listings. That will create a gating item. If the Chinese regulator signs off on no listings, there will be no listings. If the Chinese regulator will sign off in an affirmative way, I think there'll be good investor demand for growing companies on a global basis from global investors. And so we're seeing a shift in listing policies coming out of China, and we're going to have to watch that to understand exactly how that will work going forward. And the head of Germany's competition watchdog is sounding off on the EU's Digital Markets Act, telling the Financial Times... The rules targeting big tech are too narrow and will fail to rein in the power of tech companies like Facebook and Google in the future. He says the EU should instead model its rules on the German framework, which uses a looser definition of antitrust that leaves more space to encompass new anti-competitive practices. Dom, back over to you. All right, Frank Holland, thank you very much for that. Let's get back to the markets and your money because Kathy Wood is out with a new investor webinar, doubling down on some old calls and making some new ones in the process as well. Among her key takeaways for July, deflation will become likely a larger force in financial markets in the year ahead, despite the recent spike in consumer prices to 13-year highs. Wood says she believes in a bond market bubble, adding too many people are afraid of inflation, which is a killer for stock market valuations. 
Wood also taking on oil, saying rising electric vehicle demand means she would not be on the long side of crude and on China. Wood saying there is a valuation reset happening right now in Chinese technology amid Beijing's crackdown. Wood says, quote unquote, from a valuation point of view, these stocks have come down and again from a valuation point of view probably will remain down. Wood's ARK Invest has been selling its stake in the sector, including stocks like Tencent, JD.com and KE Holdings as well, just to name a few. Joining me now to discuss this, Greg Sarian, founder and CEO of Sarian Strategic Partners at Hightower. Also, Steve Auth, Federated Hermes Equities Chief Investment Officer. Gentlemen, thank you both very much for being with us here. Steve, if I might just start with you to kind of lay out the macro picture here. We mentioned some of Kathy Wood's calls. This is a story-driven market right now. What stories do you think are driving most of the trading action? Is it very macro, like in Beijing crackdowns, or is it very micro, like it is with bank earnings? Well, right now, the story is really the COVID uh, relapse, potentially, which we don't buy at all, and and concerns about uh, Fed policy. We're, we're on the opposite side of Kathy on a number of these issues. I, I think oil's heading significantly higher. We have a $90 target uh, this year, it's been underinvested in for a very long time. Supply is not there. Demand is surging. Uh, we've got inflation continuing pretty high here uh, over the next several months. Uh, we think we're looking at nominal GDP this year of around 10 percent and something like uh, maybe eight, six to eight next year. So, uh, you know, this is an environment where earnings are really soaring, particularly on the cyclical sides of the economy and in financials. And, you know, those are the cheapest stocks in the market right now. So we're, we're continuing to lean into that trade. It's going to be choppy as the Fed, uh, you know, starts to get with the program. But, gosh, they're, they're just so uh, dovish here. Um, it just seems like it's a real setup for a kind of Goldilocks cubed scenario um, back, you know, through the rest of the year here. So, 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 Greg, it's interesting. All of those points that Steve just brought up ha- have led to one word that I've heard a lot more than any others over the course of the last several months, and that is reflation. We hear about it all the time. We talk about consumer prices. We talk about it in the stock market overall. So do you believe that Steve is correct here? Do do we continue to see legs for that reflationary trade, those economically sensitive sectors that will continue to maybe break through? I would agree with that, Don, and thanks for having me back. I I would say to you, we're we're probably going to see some really strong second quarter earnings numbers, potentially up 40, 50 percent versus 2020. Now, that being said, I think investors need to bear in mind some headwinds that the markets are facing, and and these would go beyond the inflation issues. Look at where oil is, up 30% for the year. Look at labor costs. Every CEO on your program is talking about not only having challenges finding labor, but paying for it, but tax reform. Uh, Your your Frank Collin just mentioned a few minutes ago this $3.5 trillion spending plan. How's that being paid for? We do believe Inflation is going to be a concern as we head to the end of the year. Tax reform is going to be a concern. And then, of course, the Fed. Uh, the CPI number we saw last yesterday was, was hotter than expected. And we do think the Fed's going to signal a Jackson Hole tapering, if not when they begin to raise rates. These could all put some headwinds in markets. Uh, closer to the end of the year. So, Steve, I mean, you, you mentioned some of the earnings kind of tailwinds that we have right now. There, there have been a number of investors and traders who believe that there are, are comparability issues in the coming months. 
meaning yeah. it was easy to kind of go above and beyond the pandemic economy that we had last year this time around. But going forward, those comps become more difficult and more difficult. What needs to happen for this market to keep going higher? Um, I'd say take a walk down Main Street. Uh, th- this economy is gaining momentum. People have been locked down for a year and a half. There are piles of cash everywhere. The Fed is still spraying gasoline on the forest fire, not water. Uh, things are really soaring. So I think you're going to see top line growth here continuing to be quite strong in the back half of this year as it feeds on itself. And I know I agree with Greg that, uh, you know, when the Fed starts to talk a little bit about taper, the markets will probably initially take a bit of a setback. But we're actually rooting for them here. I, I, I hope that I think the risks here on a longer term basis are they take too long to get going. Um, this economy can sustain two, two and a half percent 10 year rates easily. And if they take too long to get going, this inflationary cycle could really take off. But for the near term, uh, I think we've got a pretty bullish setup. All right. So, so Greg, let, let's put some let's put some trades around this. You've got to make some investment decisions specifically with certain stocks, certain industry groups, certain sectors. What exactly then would you go towards? Is it is it still going to be the value trade or is it going to be different in terms of maybe big cap technology, the safety trade, so to speak, over the last several years? Sure. Yeah. So I think a few things investors need to be thinking about right now, Dom. The first would be from a planning perspective, accelerating some of their charitable giving, funding a donor-advised fund when markets are hot like this. Take that deduction. You have the rest of your life to give that money away. But in terms of sectors we like, we like disruptive healthcare right now. We think about not large-cap pharma per se, but think about cell therapy, gene therapy. We've got a tremendous amount of cancer research being done, and that's being M&A-driven right now. There's a lot of dry powder in, in, the, in the arms of private equity that we think is going to continue to be deployed. So we're, we're very much in favor of uh, med tech gene therapy, and we're playing that through the investing in the Eventide Healthcare and Life Sciences Fund to participate in that space. All right. A lot more chatter these days about CRISPR technology as well. Steve Auth of Federated, Greg Sarian, thank you guys very much. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, the buy now, pay later sector rocked as Apple reportedly looks to get in on the action. And later, how Quibi, the streaming service left for dead, might walk away with a few awards after this year's Emmys. Plus, it is the cheesiest ice cream, that is, a new flavor from Kraft that has a lot of heads and possibly stomachs turning. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Time now for your big money movers for stock stories of the morning. Frank Holland is back with those. Frank. Hey there, Dom. First up, shares of companies that offer buy now, pay later plans, they're dropping. That's on a Bloomberg report. Apple is working on a service to let users pay for any Apple purchases in installments. A firm holdings closing down 10 percent in yesterday's session. Why PayPal is off fractionally today. Check out Australia's buy now, pay later providers. That's Afterpay, Zipco and Sezzle, all down just about 10 percent in Sydney. Up next, Norwegian Cruise Lines. It's suing Florida's Surgeon General, asking a federal judge to block the state's law banning businesses from requiring customers to show proof of COVID-19 vaccination. Norwegian is seeking a preliminary injunction to allow it to resume sailing with health and safety protocols it developed to comply with guidance from the CDC. Now to stock three, Broadcom. The Wall Street Journal reports the chip maker is no longer in talks to buy SAS Institute. After the founders of the software maker, they changed their minds about a sale. The journal had previously said they were discussing a deal that would value SAS at between 15 and 20 billion dollars. Finally, Kraft Heinz. It's teaming up with Brooklyn-based ice cream chain Van Leeuwen to create Kraft mac and cheese flavored ice cream. Yes, Kraft mac and cheese flavored ice cream. Pints go on sale today, which is National Mac and Cheese Day. The shop has 23 shops around New York City, Houston and L.A. and also sells ice cream in grocery stores nationwide. Just not sure about that flavor, Dom. You're not not going to try it. No, I would try it. I would try it just to say I've tried it. It's 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 the journalist in me. I I have some curiosity about it right Big now. Big J, Dom. Big J. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Frank Holland. Thank you very much for that. Still on deck for the show. One restaurant's attempt to make the world's most expensive burger. To start, the bun is made with Dom Perignon champagne dough. Are you hungry for trending yet? It's coming up. A worldwide exchange returns after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back. Let's check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good Wednesday morning, Francis. Hi, Dom. Good morning to you. We start this morning with President Biden, who's delivering an impassioned plea to protect voting rights. He blasted Republican efforts to restrict voting access as un-American and a test of our democracy. He called on Republicans in Congress and across the country to stand up and help prevent the effort to undermine elections, saying, have you no shame? A federal appeals court ruling this week that the federal law banning handgun sales by licensed dealers to anyone under 21 violates the Second Amendment. The Fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Richmond, Virginia, voted two to one to declare it invalid. The law was signed by President Lyndon Johnson in 1968. And while it bans handgun sales to 18 to 21-year-olds, it allows them to buy rifles and shotguns. The ruling applies only in five states, Virginia, Maryland, West Virginia, North and South Carolina. The decision is likely to be appealed and could eventually reach the Supreme Court. And this one is just shocking. Got to watch it. Look at this golfer in San Antonio, Texas, on a driving range. He hit that electrifying shot 
when lightning struck his ball in midair during that storm. See, the bolt jolted him all the way back in surprise, falling down. The video is slowed down here, and you can see the moment the lightning bolt hits the ball, moving at an estimated 88 miles per hour. No one was injured, but hey, they had to have known this storm was coming. I mean, clearly this just didn't come out of nowhere. And, and to be golfing out there with those clubs and an iron and lightning dove. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think the heavy stuff's going to be coming down for quite some time there, to, to, to be honest with you. I keep going. Wow. I keep going. It's gone viral. And, and I would say this. I, I think that the video has probably brought so much more attention yes. and marketing awareness to places like Topgolf that they probably love the fact that that video has gone viral. Yeah, although no one's really talking about the guy's swing or the end. It looked like he looked like he was in pretty good form, but we're not talking about that either. All right, Francis, this has inspired me to. We should go golf it up sometime. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> not not during a storm, though. <laughs> you got it. Thanks. Thanks very much, Frank, Francis Rivera, for that for that news update. Now let's get to today's top trending stories because that wasn't one of them, but it was still going viral. Some new orange so-called chicken, some posthumous streaming service nominations and the world's most expensive burger. Frank Holland is right. here with those. Frank. Now, we're going to go from Frank Holland to Holland in just a second. But first, let's start off with this one. Beyond Meat is coming to the Panda Express menu disguised as orange chicken. The restaurant will be the first large Asian concept restaurant to serve Beyond Meat on its menu. The dish called Beyond the Original Orange Chicken will roll out on July 26th in select locations in New York and Southern California. And Quibi. It's actually risen from the dead, believe it or not. Despite shuttering after just six months of operation, the ill-fated short-form video platform has scored eight Emmy nominations this year. While the app itself is no more, most of Quibi's content is now available to stream on the Roku channel. And a restaurant in the Netherlands, Holland, has created the world's most expensive burger. The burger called The Golden Boy costs 5,000 euros or nearly 6,000 U.S. dollars and includes some very pricey ingredients like Wagyu beef, caviar, king crab, and white truffle. What else? It also includes a barbecue sauce made with Macallan whiskey. I know that's one of your favorites, Dom. And a bun made with Dom Perignon champagne topped with gold leaf. Plus, the 5,000 euros raised from the sale of this burger and this world record attempt was actually donated to the Dutch National Food Bank. So some potentially good food for a very good cause. Um, some of those ingredients, I, I, it sounds good. They're all, all quality ingredients, Dom. I just don't know if I want them all put together. I would say this. I remember Robert Frank doing a story on the most expensive pizza, and they did the whole gold flake thing as well. Right. The only thing that makes this more palatable to me, I guess, is the idea that the money is going to charity, right, yeah. to a food bank and everything else. But what I'm kind of curious a little bit more about, beyond the fact that there's a Dom Perignon bun on this, is the other story that you talked about with regard to kind of the quibby. I mean, right. it's so interesting. I, I was just reading earlier, you know, this morning about uh, Lovecraft Country, which is the HBO Excellent. Max streamings. Excellent. Yes. Yeah. And it's not going to get a new season. Right. So it's going to get like it's got to get a ton of Emmy nods and it's not even going to have an, another season coming out of it. So, well, I mean, I, it's so weird that the dynamic in streaming video these days. Well, number one, I thought that show was excellent. But in all fairness, I didn't I watched it and I didn't see a, a, any way to really have another season. It seemed like it, it was kind of coming to an end. Um, also, that uh, the creator of that show going to Apple, creating some content there. So that could be exciting. All right. Fun stuff for sure there. Frank Holland, thank you very much for those trending stories straight ahead on the show. A live report from Capitol Hill and the latest Senate Democrat spending proposal, trillions of dollars worth. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or whatever podcast app you choose. Worldwide Exchange audio format. We'll be right back.
Banks back in focus. B of A, Citi, and Wells Fargo all set to release quarterly results on the heels of blockbuster earnings reports from J.P. Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs. Delta results also on tap as the company and airline industry fight to fly high once again following pandemic-related turbulence. And Senate Democrats looking to go it alone, rolling out their $3.5 trillion plan to fulfill President Biden's domestic agenda. Elon Moy is standing by to break down what exactly is in that package. It's Wednesday, July 14th, 2021. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Let's get a look at the markets and your money. Futures right now pointing to some modest moves at the opening bell. You can see there the Dow is implied lower by just roughly seven points at the stage. The S&P implied higher by just about two points and the Nasdaq higher by about 55. Big technology, remember, closed at a record. Take a look, though, at some of those other sectors seeing those big moves. Let's start with travel. As we await Delta Airlines results this morning, airlines getting hit hard in the last week amid mounting concerns about COVID variants. The U.S. Global Jets ETF, you can see there, down 3.5% during that span. Taking a look at specific airlines, Hawaiian Holdings and United down more than 5%, and Delta and JetBlue down more than 3% in that time span as well. Not much better for the cruise line industry. Carnival falling 8.5%, Norwegian Cruise Line shedding nearly 7%, and Royal Caribbean down 5%. Despite the uptick in COVID concerns, though, stay-at-home stocks not seeing much of a pop. Zoom and Teladoc down around 6% as well, while Etsy has just shed just about 5%. DoorDash, meanwhile, is down more than 3.5%, so it's been broad-based. Also, have to talk about Lumber's continued crash, down more than 50% over the last two months. Now, that drop starting to show up in stocks with the WOOD, or WOOD ETF, down 8% from its May high, and the CUT, CUT ETF, down nearly 6% as well. Both have exposure to those wood markets. Let's turn now to some of the news crossing out of Washington, D.C., and new details on Senate Democrats' plan to legalize marijuana in this country. Elon Moy joins us now with the details there. What can you tell us, Elon? Well, Dom, top Senate Democrats today will unveil a new proposal for legalization and taxation of cannabis at the federal level. Now, spearheading this effort are Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, the head of the Senate Finance Committee, Ron Wyden, and New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. Now, their plan removes cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act and directs the U.S. Attorney General to declassify it in any regulations within 60 days of passage. That would clear the way for businesses to have full access to the nation's banking and financial systems. Meanwhile, cannabis wholesalers would have to get permits from the Treasury Department. The proposal would also establish 21 as the legal age to buy marijuana in keeping with the trend in state laws. But producing cannabis could come at a cost. The plan calls for a 10 percent excise tax for the first year of legalization. It climbs to 25 percent after five years. And then after that, the tax would be calculated according to weight or concentration, but would equal 25 percent of the market rate of cannabis. Growers, though, would get a break on the first $20 million in sales. The senators plan to use this new revenue to pay for programs that are aimed at neighborhoods that were targeted by the war on drugs in the 1980s, including a new SBA cannabis loan program for disadvantaged communities. 
Um, Democrats want to get comments on their proposal by September the 1st. And Schumer has said that he wants to get something passed next year by 420. Back over to you. All right. I get the 420 reference there. Here's my question, Lon. If if this is going to happen, what's the likelihood that we get real traction for this? I ask this because many cannabis investors I talk to say that many of these federal laws are, are perhaps maybe not even relevant these days because so many states are enacting some of their own contravening laws at the more localized level. Is it going to benefit this country to have more of a, of a pan process, so to speak, with regard to how we tackle cannabis? Yeah, I think what's important about the federal legislation is that it would allow businesses to have access to the banking system. That has been, you know, one of the longstanding common complaints that we hear um, from companies in that industry, that banking and dealing with money, dealing with the financial system is a big hurdle. So that's number one. The second thing, though, to your point, is that right now it doesn't look like this is going to get a lot of Republican support, both because of the sort of uh, way the money and the revenue would be reinvested and because can Cannabis would be taxed in the first place. Republicans don't like to vote for any new taxes. So you might uh, lose some libertarians there who would be in favor of fewer regulations on something like cannabis. Um, So the bill is important, though, because it provides sort of the marker for how Senate Democrats and how Democrats overall in this administration, you know, want to move forward with legalizing marijuana. It tries to set that framework for what this could look like down the road and what some of their priorities are going to be. Certainly a jumping off point for that. Elon, while we have you, we're also following developments in that push among Democrats to enact President Biden's domestic agenda and members in the Senate unveiling at that $3.5 trillion budget proposal late last night. What exactly can you tell us about the likelihood of that happening? Well, Dom, Senate Democrats did announce last night that they've reached a deal on the so-called human capital portion of President Biden's infrastructure plan. That is child care, a Medicare expansion and climate change. The total spending is three point five trillion dollars. And that number is a compromise between progressives like Senator Bernie Sanders and centrists like Senator Mark Warner. Democrats are using the fast track budget reconciliation process to pass this, which means that all 50 Senate Democrats do need to get behind it, but no Republican support is required. Last night, the senator said the $3.5 trillion deal is fully paid for in part through higher taxes on corporations and the wealthy. But it's still unclear how much revenue Democrats plan to raise or what the net cost will be. I'm also told by multiple sources that this package does not include an increase in the debt ceiling. Now, technically, that will come back into effect at the end of this month. However, the Treasury Department probably has some wiggle room on that into the fall. Meanwhile, a bipartisan group of senators that's been working on a much smaller package said last night that they're hoping to have their own bill ready by the end of this week. Dom, Democrats have repeatedly said that they are moving down two tracks on infrastructure, and now they appear to be making progress on both of those fronts. All right, Yolan Moy with the latest there on everything happening in Washington, D.C. Thank you very much. Let's let's get to some of this morning's top stories. Frank Holland is back with those. Frank. Dom Fed Chairman Jay Powell said to kick off two days of testimony before Congress later today. Powell will deliver his semi-annual monetary policy report, starting with the House Financial Services Committee. A look to stress, he's not looking to quickly exit the central bank's easy money policy. Powell has vowed that the current strategy will remain substantial, um, excuse me, remain until substantial uh, pr- further progress is made on the Fed's employment and inflation goals. SolarWinds is warning some customers that hackers have discovered and exploited a new vulnerability in its systems. 
The software company, which was at the center of that massive data breach last year, says it was alerted by Microsoft of this latest unrelated hack. It says it involves a limited targeted set of customers and a single threat actor targeting its ServeU products. And Apple is reportedly asking its suppliers to ramp up production of the next version of its iPhone in a bid to increase output by up to 20 percent this year. According to Bloomberg, the tech giant is seeking to build as many as 90 million devices. The report adds the upgraded forecast suggests that Apple expects its first iPhone launch since the rollout of vaccines will unlock an additional demand. Dom, back over to you. All right, Frank Holland, thank you very much for that. Delta Airlines is set to report second quarter earnings before the bell today. Investors will be looking for any guidance on the return to the skies and signs of international and business travel. That's key, business travel coming back. This after American Airlines pre-reported yesterday expecting revenues to come in above expectations. The CEO, Doug Parker, telling employees the company is moving in the, quote, right direction as it flew 82 percent more customers in the second quarter than it did in the first three months of 2021. For more on what to expect from airline earnings season, let's bring in Sheila Kayalu, aerospace and defense analyst over at Jefferies. Sheila, we often turn to you for all things in the sky Let's talk about whether or not we are seeing some of this momentum wane in the airlines become an opportunity for certain investors to get in on the action. They've had a big run since the pandemic ended. They have, but they've kind of stalled over the last three months. And when you look at these airlines, yes, American pre-announced last night, they expect sales to be um, you know, 37% below 2019 levels. It's not often that you see companies trade at such low valuations when their revenues are still 30 to 50% off prior peak levels. So to give you a taste, Delta trades at seven times EBITDA, which is a 50% discount to the market. That's historically where airlines traded, but their earnings are about 20% below prior peak. So er airlines should be trading at higher multiples. Clearly, investors are not believing the earnings power in 2022 and 2023, just given the lack of visibility and the lack of return in, you know, international and corporate which are over 50 percent of their sales. So so f from that standpoint, then we're, we're showing all these charts, Delta, American, we, and we've seen the near nearer to medium term weakness in those stocks. I, I guess from a relative basis, are there places where you would think you would be poised for better performance in the coming months, given what you feel is a trajectory of things like international and business travel as well? Sure. We recently uh, upgraded Delta last month. The reason for that was about half of its ASMs are international, of which about half is from Europe. We think Europe will be the first to open, uh, followed by you know Asia in two years' time. So the European recovery will be sooner. Um, and additionally, 50% of their sales are corporate, of which half of it are small-medium businesses. All right. So Delta buy rated target price, 60 ducks from Sheila. I also want to get your take on what's happening right now with Boeing. It's a big coverage stock in your universe. That stock falling almost 5% yesterday. It was dragging down the entire Dow along with it. It's on concerns. The company is now expecting to deliver fewer than half the 787s currently in its inventory this year. We've got production sure. issues weighing as well there. Boeing is one of those key stocks that it's considered a huge bellwether for many parts of the market here. What exactly is the future for Boeing in your mind? I, you know, I think Boeing has a lot of risk associated with it right now, given the max and the 787 stalls. However, it does also have a lot of positive catalysts as well. Um, if we could see China approval, if we could see the 87, the 737 rollback, but they are losing some of that share to Airbus right now. Um, but just given the overall positive commercial aero environment, 
uh, we're positive on Boeing for that reason. We think the free cash flow will normalize. They'll generate about $10 billion of free cash flow in the 2024 timeframe. And at a market multiple, the stock still has upside, but they have a lot of near-term turbulence. Just when you think about uh, the max inventory run through the 787, we're uh, projecting that they deliver at four a month. Um, and their production rates are lower on those. She- Sheila, I mean, we know that Boeing gets a lot of attention because of the commercial aircraft side of things, because it is such a high profile part of the business. But it's also one of the biggest defense contractors out there. When you look at the balance of business in the, in the next year or so, how much more of an emphasis is Boeing going to have to place on some of the other parts of the business, the aerospace side of things, the defense contracting side of things to counter what we're seeing here on the commercial aircraft side? So about 40% of its business is defense. We expect their defense business to be about flattish. When we think about the other defense primes, Lockheed Martin and Northrop, they're going at a 3 to 5% clip. So the defense business is underperforming. And given that they won several uh, big development programs, three in 2019, um, there's not a lot of margin leverage in that business. All right. Sheila Kayalu at Jeffries with a call on Boeing as well. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Well, coming up on the show, are stocks proving to be too frothy? Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon lays out whether he thinks valuations are just too high. But first, as we head out to break some of your other top stories, Elon Musk revealing production on Tesla's power walls is lagging as a result of the ongoing global semiconductor shortage. Musk making that revelation during his final day of testimony in the Solar City trial, saying while demand stands at around 80,000 units, Tesla will likely produce 30 to 35,000 of them this quarter. The entertainment company, backed by NBA star LeBron James, is apparently in talks over a possible sale. According to reports, Spring Hill has held early conversations with Nike and other possible suitors with a potential valuation of $750 million. And Jeep, formally unveiling the latest version of its Compass SUV. The 2022 version features new technologies and a redesigned interior. It is set to arrive this fall ahead of Jeep's move into EVs. Keep it right here. We are back after this. All right, it's a big day coming up on CNBC with a number of exclusive and first on interviews, as you can see there, including BlackRock Chairman and CEO Larry Fink, also Delta CEO Ed Bastian, Marriott CEO Tony Capuano, Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan, Wells Fargo CFO Michael Santomasimino, and ARK Invest Kathy Wood as well. The parade of chief something officers coming up all day long. Must watch interviews all day, so you'll want to keep it right here on CNBC. Now, a few of the analyst calls of note this morning. Apple added to Goldman's analyst focus list as a growth idea. Among the catalysts, the analyst points to strong expectations for the iPhone 12 upgrade cycle. The firm has an overweight rating on Apple with a $175 target price. You can see there those shares up 1.5% pre-market. Meantime, Goldman is initiating coverage of the apparel and brand sector with a buy recommendation overall on Lululemon, Yeti, Ralph Lauren, PVH, and Levi Strauss, the company analysts say the post-COVID recovery period has been supportive for apparel and brands. Goldman forecasts continued strong growth and margin expansion. One word of caution, though. The note notes that the sector has outperformed the S&P so far this year, so investors should stay selective on certain stock names. Well, coming up on the show, investors are gearing up for the latest round of big bank earnings. Uh, it's John Nigerian lays out why he sees the financials. They are not where it's at right now. 
And if you have not already done so, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast platform of choice. We'll be right back here on Worldwide Exchange. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange and back to the markets as well. You can see here what we have is a market with the Dow Jones implied lower by just about six points. So we'll call it flat at the opening bell. If these futures moves hold into the opening bell for regular cash equities trading, the S&P is implied higher by roughly three to four points and the Nasdaq higher by roughly 61. On the Treasury side of things, we are keeping a close eye on that 10-year benchmark U.S. Treasury note yield, now drifting just a little bit below the 1.4% level. Remember, we got down to about 1.26, 1.27 at the lows this past few weeks here. The two-year note yield, just a hair below 25 basis points, or 0.25%. On the WTI crude front, U.S. benchmark prices, $74.72. That's about three-quarters of 1% decline there. World benchmark ice brink crude futures, down about three-quarters of 1% as well, $75.96 the last trade there. And Bitcoin, still trying to find some stability here in a sideways market, just about flat on the day, roughly 32300 and change. Ethereum now below 2000 1935 the last trade there. That's up roughly one-half of 1%. Now, as, as investors awaited another key round of earnings with the big banks once again in focus, now those numbers are coming on the heels, by the way, of Goldman Sachs' blowout results. Now, speaking exclusively to CNBC yesterday, Goldman CEO David Solomon arguing the market's next leg hinges on the economy's next moves. I, um, I think that the market is looking at the robust economic recovery we're having, and it's pulling forward some of that recovery. Uh, we'll there, watch is that. It, is it a bit richly valued, the market at the moment? You know, r- richly valued. It depends on where the economic recovery goes from here. Uh, obviously, and you guys are reporting on it, earnings momentum is quite strong. Uh, and I think the market is catching up with that strong economic recovery. The big question will be, what do we see in 2022 and 2023? And how will the market rebalance to that? Mm-hmm. You know, at the, um, at the moment, uh, you know, the market's telling you that growth is very, very robust. Robust. That's a positive word. Now, for more on the Trinity Day ahead, let's bring in John Nigerian, Market Rebellion co-founder and also a CNBC contributor. You can watch him on the Halftime Report often. So, John, you heard those comments from Goldman CEOs, David Solomon. I mean, is this a robust economy or a robust rather market that's dependent on a more robust economic recovery going forward into 2022 and 23? Uh, it is both of those things. Uh, it's robust. Uh, The recovery is robust, but the recovery might be too robust, Tom, because as you know, and as you've reported, um, inflation is running at the highest clip that we've seen in years. And of course, this is engineered by the Fed. They were hoping for this. Now, the question is, once they get what they want, Tom, uh, do they really want as much as they've got? Uh, Right now, we're seeing, you know, what, 5.4, 5.5% in that range uh, inflation year over year. And that certainly says that there's demand out there and that people are spending that money. Uh, The question is whether or not uh, that uh, inflationary jump that we've seen in airlines, in used cars, new cars, uh, in food prices, uh, in gasoline, whether all of those inputs end up changing a little bit of the way the world looks at 
this particular recovery, which has been, as you say, very robust. I mean, John, we're showing all all the viewers out there and listeners uh, a chart of the 10 year Treasury note yield. Now, Now, we know that massive amounts of central bank intervention are are in many ways distorting what's happening with with Treasury and credit markets right now. But still, do you believe that this inflation story is transitory, like the Fed is saying? Because right now you can earn 1.4 percent for 10 years on U.S. credit. That certainly, John, does not appear to me, at least, and I'm a novice in the bond markets. It doesn't appear to me that that signals any kind of runaway inflation. No. uh, And and it tells you about the extreme demand there is for treasuries right now, especially with that yield that you just described with so much of the rest of the world still in uh, more or less negative territory, Dom. So uh, I I think there's going to be that that search for yield. Um, Clearly, that's one of the things that's holding it back. The Treasury just got a bunch of money um, from the receipts for taxes, and that meant that there were less demand by the Treasury to go out and raise more money um, in the short term. Now, I think that that will be changing as we go into the fall, Dom. So one of those issues about transitory drink um, is that uh, I don't think in particular it will be as transitory as many think. All right. So we can't talk about the interest rate and inflation picture without bringing in the banks into discussion. We are in the beginning part of this big bank earnings season. You saw the results. From J.P. Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs that, you know, I I was speaking with Mm -hmm. Karen Feinerman over the last couple of days. She didn't like the setup because she said these banks were rallying into earnings and maybe part of the reason for the sell off there yesterday. Do you still feel as though there's there's a constructive trade for the banks? And and how much will B of A, City and Wells Fargo tell you about the overall health of the banking sector? I think they're in particular, of course, Bank of America is going to tell us a lot about uh, the consumer uh, rather than their trading or, you know, the, the fixed side of this. I, I think, Dom, that uh, most of the speculation that we've been seeing is just really centered on one bank, and that's Wells Fargo. Um, most of the other banks were we were seeing protective trades, trades that people in the short term, like in the next month, 30 days or so, let's say, till uh, August expiration, people were looking to protect gains that banks have made, rather than betting that they go higher. The one exception was Wells Fargo. They were still buying upside uh, calls, a speculative call in Wells Fargo because of that recovery story, not the economic recovery, but that bank's recovery story, I think, Dom. Now, now, John, we've just got a few moments left here. Is there a part of the market specifically that you're seeing much more bullish activity outside the banks? Yes, sir. Um, Chinese stocks. Uh, These were just slammed, of course, for the last several weeks with Didi, uh, Tencent, Alibaba. But now that's flipping around. I'm not saying that it's such a huge change, Dom, that that we're going to just see sweeping moves to the upside. But in Alibaba yesterday and for the last several days, we've seen upside call buying JD as well as YY. All three of those upside call speculation. All right. Chinese stocks, a key focus. John and Jerrion at Market Rebellion. Thank you very much. We'll see you later on today. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the coverage coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway. 
And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.